Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We find ourselves surrounded by many powers in this world. However, Paul shows us how to contend with these powers because he has seen a vision of who is truly in power. You're listening to Faithful to the Vision from Heaven by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 26, Acts 26, starting at verse 12 and going through verse 32. This is the fourth in our sermon series on the book of Acts, and I should warn you that the series is going to take a little break. Um, That's because next week is Ruth's farewell sermon, her retirement sermon, and we didn't want to force her to preach on Acts necessarily, and so she won't. Uh, And then the two following weeks, I'll be on continuing ed, and then I will be on vacation. So there'll be two guest preachers. But we will pick up in Acts again starting in July. So keep reading it. Keep thinking about it. Today, uh, we're reading a very important, um, reading an important text, but tying into an extremely important and central theme to the book of Acts that I think a lot of people miss. And to do that, I would like to um, set up this passage before I read it, because it's part of a long story. It's in the middle of a long story. So I'm going to have fully one-third of my sermon I'm going to read, or I'm going to preach before I get to the reading of the text. And hopefully that will be a helpful thing and not a hindrance. So let's begin. Paul is is in Caesarea, and he's in prison. And he's been there for two years And he's there because he was arrested in Jerusalem. After one of his long missionary journeys, he got to Jerusalem to worship in the temple like a good Jew. And some of the enemies that he'd made on his trip saw him there and they raised a ruckus. And the ruckus became more than a ruckus. It became something close to a riot. And so the Roman authorities swoop in. They want to keep the peace in the city. And they pick up Paul and they take him away from the mob that was about to kill him. And it ends up that they take him all the way out of Jerusalem, get him out of town, and bring him to Caesarea, because even Paul's presence in the town makes rioting a possibility. So they take him to Caesarea. The governor there is Felix, and Paul ends up languishing there for two years in jail um, without a trial, because Felix is just kicking the can down the road, okay? Festus becomes the new governor, succeeds, uh, succeeds Felix. And Festus decides he's going to get things moving. So he starts the wheels of justice going, which means some accusers come up from Jerusalem to Caesarea, and they start to say, we need to put Paul to death. He's a menace. Festus, you got to kill this guy. Paul, when he hears that, appeals to Caesar, which means he's appealing his case to the highest court in the land. He's going to go to Rome, and that's where his case will be heard. So Festus is in the process of processing that case and sending him off to Rome. And while he's doing that, Festus receives a really important visitor, someone named King Agrippa. King Agrippa is a regional ruler, one of the most powerful people in the entire Roman Empire, knows the emperor, And he's come to Caesarea to congratulate Festus on on becoming a governor. Good job, Festus. He's coming to say hi. And while he's there, he finds out that Festus has Paul in jail. Now, Agrippa grew up in Judea, so he knows Jewish theology. He knows Jewish politics. And he's like, wow, Paul, that's really interesting. I'd like to meet him. 
I'd like to have an audience with him. So Festus says, that's fine. It's a good thing for Festus too, because he says, I got to write up a case against him before I send him to Rome. This way I can kill two birds with one stone. So he sets up this arrangement where Festus and Agrippa and Agrippa's sister Bernice, this other really important person, are all going to have an audience with Paul. And here's how the text describes it. This is what Luke describes. We enter into the great hall of the governor Festus. And you can imagine this great stone Roman building with big columns. And the hall is full of people. And not just any people. Luke tells us the most prominent citizens of Caesarea all come to watch this audience, okay? So they're on both sides of the aisle. And they're sitting there and there's, um, there's um, military leaders and there's political leaders and there would be business leaders and they're all sitting there all waiting for Paul to come in. And they're all decked out, right? They're, they're wearing Armani togas and they're wearing their military finery and there's lots of gleaming medals. They look great, right? So just power. And then a trumpet blows, and Luke says, with great pomp, Festus and Agrippa and Bernice come in, and they walk down the center aisle, and as they walk in, everybody rises and turns towards the honored guest, and as Agrippa walks down the aisle, they follow him, and they they sort of genuflect before him, and Agrippa sort of waves at them as he comes down the aisle, and Agrippa... Bernice and Festus, they come and they sit at the front in the three thrones in front. Festus makes a gesture with his hand and everyone is seated. And Festus says, bring out the prisoner. And now into the room shuffles Paul. And he's shuffling because he's got his legs in irons, got big chains on on his legs And he's flanked on either side by really strong-looking Roman soldiers, and their faces are an implacable mask of authority. Paul's face, on the other hand, looks tired. He's wearing his prison grays, and he looks small compared to everything around him. He looks small under the vault of that ceiling. He looks small like a clay vessel in the middle of these gilded vessels all around him. Agrippa says to Paul, you may speak. Paul stands up and he raises his hand like a Roman orator does and he starts his defense. And he starts by saying, I am a devout Jew. I love my people. I was raised a Jew. I I am very loyal to the Jewish people. In fact, I'm so loyal, I became a Pharisee the strictness of our sex. I was a radical Pharisee, so radical that when the people of the way started, when these Christians started, I started to persecute them. I led the way. I made journeys to other towns to find Christians and bring them back, and I voted for their execution. And that brings us to our passage where we pick up Paul's speech. Look at verse 12. One of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authorities on a commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, and I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem, and then in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day so that I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing besides what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. And after they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. It's a great passage, and I think my, uh, my favorite part of the passage, in fact, one of my favorite lines in the whole of the book of Acts, and maybe you, you can guess which one that is, is what Festus says to Paul to interrupt his speech. Are you out of your mind, Paul? Your great learning is driving you insane. Now, why do I like that, that line? Partly because... I sympathize with Festus. Um, sometimes when I'm reading a really, really hard part of Paul, like maybe Romans 9 through 11, and I'm struggling, I hear Festus, and I think, yeah, I'm not the only one. This is really hard. But mostly, I love what Festus says because of the sheer drama of that moment. The room must have been absolutely electric when Festus got up in his chair and shouted what he did. And that's what it says, right? He shouted it. He didn't just say it. He shouted it. And that begs a question. What was it that, that, that made Festus get out of his chair and shout? 
What got Festus so worked up? How come Festus flipped his lid? It has to be more than just disagreement with what Paul is saying, right? If you just disagree with someone, you don't necessarily um, get up and shout. You might say, I I don't agree with you, especially if you're the one in power, right? I don't agree with you. I'm not listening to this anymore. I have the power here. I'm very calm, right? What is it that makes him flip? Many commentators point to Paul's reference to the resurrection, right? At the end of the, right where before Festus interrupts, Paul's talking about the resurrection, and Greek people would have found the bodily resurrection of the dead ridiculous. I don't think that's what makes Festus stand up and shout, and I don't think that because everybody knew Paul preached that, right? It was no secret that Paul preached the resurrection. It was the center of his preaching. Festus knew that Paul would talk about the resurrection. So what is it then that makes him stand up and shout. To answer that, I think we got to look at Paul's reference to his mission to the Gentiles, right? He says, the vision from heaven has commissioned him to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel, to give the Gentiles liberation from the darkness, from the power of Satan, and bring them to God and into the light of Jesus Christ, When Paul talks about that mission, he begins by talking about it in general terms. This is what the vision told me, to go to all the Gentiles in general. But then Paul gets specific. And it's a very important line. He says, I stand here to testify to small and great alike. Now, who's he talking about when he says to the great alike? He's talking about the people sitting in that room, right? I'm not just here to bring the gospel to the Gentiles in general. I'm here to bring the gospel to you. He calls the people in that room to repent. He calls the people in that room to leave the power of darkness, to be freed from the power of Satan, and to bow the knee to King Jesus and come into his light. What is Paul doing? He's looking Agrippa in the eye. He's looking Festus in the eye. He's looking all those prominent people in the eye. And he says... You need to repent and give your life to Jesus. King Agrippa, you need to bow the knee to King Jesus and come into his light. Can you see what an incredible moment that is and how bold Paul is being at that moment? And we know that that's what Paul's doing because Agrippa knows that's what Paul's doing. Agrippa acknowledges that. He says, Paul, are you seriously trying to convert me right now? Is that what you're doing? This is why Festus comes out of his seat. This is why Festus stands up and shouts. He cannot believe it. Paul's the one on trial here. And then Paul comes in here and calls me to repent, calls my honored guest to repent. And it's getting to him. Right? The reason Festus stands up and shouts is not only is Paul doing this bold thing, it's getting to him. The gospel is starting to cut him to the heart. Can we just admire Paul's boldness here? He's been in jail two years. He knows he's going to trial in Rome on a capital offense, possibly. This is his chance to make nice with these two really important people. These two people know the emperor. Any other prisoner would be obsequious and fawning and say, oh, please help me, oh, please help me. Paul doesn't do that. He calls him to repent. And when he does it, and this is so important in the passage, 
he completely turns the balance of power in the room. In the way I described it at the beginning, the way Luke describes it, at the beginning of the meeting, at the beginning of the encounter, Paul is this small clay jar surrounded by these gilded vessels, right? He's, the power's all on the other side. But when he preaches the gospel, all of a sudden the whole room shifts and Agrippa is on his heels and Festus is on his heels because Paul is filled with the authority of Jesus. Where does Paul get this boldness? Where does Paul get this moxie, this gumption? And, more importantly, how can we get some of that gumption for ourselves? Paul tells us where he gets the courage. He can stand in the courtroom of King Agrippa and look him in the eye and say what he says because he has seen a different courtroom. Paul can stand in front of King Agrippa and be bold because he has seen King Jesus. Remember, he refers to that vision on the Damascus Road. He says to King Agrippa, I have always remained faithful to this vision. He's talking about his experience on the Damascus Road when the heavens opened up and he saw Jesus seated at the right hand of God. So Paul was here. And we were to ask him, Paul, why were you so bold? He would say, you know, I've seen the face of Jesus. I've heard the voice of Jesus, and after you've seen the face of Jesus and heard the voice of Jesus, guess what? King Agrippa, Festus, these prominent people, no big deal. Paul has earthly boldness because he's seen a heavenly vision. This is not the first time Paul's seen that sort of power dynamic. Before the Damascus Road, there was a time when Paul saw that same earthly confidence coming from a heavenly vision. You Bible scholars, can you name the place where Paul saw that before he was converted? Stephen, right? Remember when Stephen was about to be stoned to death, remember what he did? He looked up and he said, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. And it says his face was like that of an angel. And as the people rushed to stone him, what did Stephen say? Father, please forgive these people. Enormous calm and grace because he's seen the heavenly vision. This is the major theme of the book of Acts that I want you all to see. Throughout the book of Acts, you have clashes of these two courtrooms. Earthly power, human power, coming into contact with heavenly power. You see it over and over and over again. I went through Acts this week. There's at least a dozen times where you see these people who are standing in places of earthly authority and they are bold because they see the heavenly vision. Let me just share three of those with you. And you'll notice that each of these three are different kinds of human power. Okay, first, Acts 4 and 5. Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin. That's religious authority. And they have the power to kill him, kill them, execute them. And they say, Peter and John, don't preach about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John say, no, we're going to keep preaching about Jesus. Who should we obey? You guys or God? Earthly boldness because of the heavenly vision. Second example, Paul at the Areopagus. What kind of Court of human power is that? That's intellectual power, right? All these really good philosophers, Stoics and Epicureans. Paul goes and he boldly preaches to these people. Where does he get the gumption? Earthly authority from a heavenly vision. 
Third example, Roman power again, the story I told to the children. I didn't say this to the kids, but why was Paul and Silas, why were they able to sing in the middle of that dark prison? Because they could still see in their imagination through the power of the Holy Spirit, the light of the face of Jesus Christ, their Lord. Earthly confidence from a heavenly vision. Again and again and again, Acts shows you these conflicts between these two courtrooms and shows you people, ordinary people like you and me, doing amazing things by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the authority of the King. Of course, this isn't just Acts where you see this dynamic. This isn't just the story of Acts. This is the story of Christian history. Christian history is full of the story of ordinary men and women like you and me who go into places of authority, places of evil, places of injustice, places of whatever stands in God's way, and we do and say things to the power with confidence because of the heavenly vision and because of our king. Watch Paul before Agrippa, and maybe you'll think of Moses standing before Pharaoh. Or Daniel, standing before Nebuchadnezzar. Or Esther, before Xerxes. Same dynamic, right? David, before Goliath. Jesus, before Pilate. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, before the power of Hitler. Martin Luther King Jr., before the power of Bull Connor in Birmingham. Martin Luther for the papal court, the Hebrew midwives, before Pharaoh. One after another, ordinary people, people like you and me, armed only with faith, hope, and love, and the power of the Holy Spirit and the heavenly vision confronting authority. And not even looking for the authority ourselves, right? Paul's not trying to overthrow King Agrippa. Paul's not craving for his earthly power. He doesn't need it because he's seen the king. He knows where the power lies. He just speaks the truth. He just witnesses. This is your story too. You probably won't be standing in front of anyone like King Agrippa this week. I mean, who knows, but probably not. But you will be in a courtroom, a human courtroom with some human authority of some kind, and you'll be in a place, in a situation where these two courtrooms will come into conflict, the heavenly one and the earthly one. Maybe you'll be in a business meeting, and someone in your business has come up with this great idea that's going to make a lot of money, and it's legal, maybe not ethical, might take advantage of a few people, but it's legal, and it's going to make a lot of money. And everyone around the table is nodding vigorously at this idea at that moment. Are you going to listen to the court of the nodding heads or the court of your Lord? Maybe you're a middle schooler. You're planning an outing, a graduation outing. You're inviting some of your girlfriends out to Grandma's Cottage on Lake Michigan. It's going to be so fun. And you're making the invitation list. And, oh, do you invite that one girl? That one girl has always been a little bit social on the outside because she's kind of difficult, which is why she's on the outside. And if you invite her, you know that the others will say, oh, man, why'd you invite her? Which courtroom are you going to listen to? Your friends or the king? Or maybe the power, the courtroom that you will find yourself in is the courtroom of death. Death. 
Death is a terrible king. And he wants you to believe that his pronouncements are absolutely final. And when he gets up in his courtroom and he shouts, it's hard to hear anything else. But even in that courtroom, you've seen the face and heard the voice of a different king. The king whose face shines like the sun and the king who said, I was dead, but I'm alive and behold, I hold the keys to death in Hades. Whatever court you find yourself in this week, do not be afraid. You belong to the king. Lord God, we thank you for your word and for this story which reminds us um, both that um, life can be hard sometimes and we can find ourselves in situations where we're under pressure and make no sense. But even in those dark places, you are the king and the Lord of our lives and your spirit holds us and we belong to Jesus. Or wherever we are this week, give us a deep sense of your spirit's power in our lives and the authority of your son, our Lord, our king. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.